Good morning. My name is Adam, as Chris said, one of the pastors here at Bethany. Uh, can I be the first to say Merry? Did you say Merry Christmas by any chance? Can I be the first to say Merry Christmas? We're officially in the Christmas season. Can we say that now? Thanksgiving's behind us. Hope you guys had a lot of good turkey. And our turkey fell apart this year. Have you guys ever had that happen? We had it in the roaster on the countertop, and we took the lid off, and the thing just was broken open. The whole sternum just cracked and shattered. So don't know what that's about. Um, talk to someone who grows turkeys and handles them, and they think they have an idea. But, man, that was kind of disappointing. But other than that, it was a good day uh, for us. Um, again, now we're in the Christmas season. I just want to say uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, the other thing I want to say is we're going to talk about Christmas. We've been talking about Operation Christmas a Child, the shoeboxes that went in. It kind of gave you a rough idea last week of the number uh, that, that actually was delivered. I have a, an official number this morning, and this is pretty cool. You ready for this? 425 boxes. I mean, that is, yeah, that is cool. If you pull out our, you're in the bulletin, I think, I think it's in the bulletin. I don't know. I don't, I, just, I shouldn't say this, but I don't read the bulletin, so. <laughs> I, Crystal, the one who writes this, always looks at me like, you got you to read it. So I'm, I don't. I'm sorry. I kind of know what's going on, I think, most times. But in the bulletin, I think there's an attendance thing there. And I think our average att- attendance last week was like 320-something or in that ballpark. And so to hit 420 is really, I mean, that's a, a cool number worth celebrating. The other thing with Christmas that I'll mention to you is uh, this week and then next week, we, this is our current series meant to be. And then we jump into this new series. I mean, that looks like a good uh, Christmas sweater there, right? Uh, is we're going to kind of be talking about the word is with. And so when Jesus uh, says, uh, speaks of his name, uh, he's really referred to as God with us. That's how Jesus came to this earth to be with us. Uh, so we're going to be talking about how is Jesus relevant to us and what does it mean that he's with us and how about God and, and, and we're going to take a week on God, a week on Jesus. We're going to talk about um, the church. We're going to spend a week on that and kind of kick around. This kind of like what, what makes those things relevant to us and kind of uh, this Christmas season. The other thing I want to mention is you're f- playing into plan family gatherings at the Christmas time. We always get asked, what's the church doing for Christmas? What are the services that are offering? Uh, we are doing a Christmas uh, service, special service, on, on Sunday morning, December 23rd, and we'll not be turning around and doing a Christmas Eve service on Monday night. Uh, we're going to put all, we're going to bring the candlelight element and all of the other pieces into that Sunday morning, so kind of want to let you know that so you can begin to plan and um, set up your family accordingly. In two weeks, when we have this series open up, we will have invite cards for you, too, to begin to pray and invite uh, friends and family uh, throughout this season. Now, that's it. Uh, Meant to be. I'm excited for this morning. We've been talking about this whole series, 1 Corinthians 7, working through uh, verse by verse and kind of talking about marriage and divorce and remarriage and sex and all these other pieces, singleness and celebrating that. Uh, This morning we get into one that's a bit more um, general. Uh, It's going to hit marriage, and we'll talk about some marriage principles, but this morning's, the the references we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 7 kind of go a lot broader to some realities of life that I think come to bear on our marriage and our singleness, but I think it it's really will hit us all no matter where you're at. To get us kind of priming uh, the pump for that, I want you to, if you will, right now, I think you get a lot more out of this message. If you just take a moment to reflect on the situation that you currently find yourself in. Who are you? What is life like for you right now? What, what's going well? What isn't going well? Kind of, kind of what makes you you? What's true of you? The situation that you're sitting in today. Uh, so some of you could say, well, what my situation is, I just come off of Thanksgiving, and I come from a really broken, dysfunctional family. 
Um, others of you say, you know, I never knew mom or dad. I still don't know mom or dad. Or so others of you say, you know what, my family is amazing. We love one another. We're for one another. We're with one another. Others of you say, you know what, I'm single, and I really want to be married. That's my situation. Others of you say, well, I'm married, and I really want to be single. Um, others of you are saying, I'm married, and I love marriage. Uh, some of you are like, man, I'm single, and I love being single. Some of you are saying, I'm in high school. Some are in college. Some are saying, I'm getting ready to graduate. Some say, I've got a master's degree. I've got a PhD. You, you have the place that you work. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you're underemployed. I mean, what is your situation? Your kids, some of you have kids, some of you love that you have kids, some of you hate that you have kids, some of you, um, some of you want kids and you can't have kids, some of you have grandkids, some of you are raising your adult um, um, kids at home again. You think, man, I, I thought they moved out when they, now they're back. And others of you are raising your parents and caring for your parents. I shouldn't say raising, right? You don't raise your parents, but care for your parents as, as they move towards the end of life. Um, but your situation... Where do you find yourself today? What's true of you? What I find interesting about our situations is there is a lot of time, energy, and money spent to change your situation. You realize that? Whole industries, whether it's going from a counselor, whether it's um, just we pine away and think about how we are going to recover from or change our situations. And when we talk about our situations, the heart of Scripture, but so few of us, I find, really just jump here right away, is we just sit back and say, you know what, God's in control, and this is where he placed me. Especially if you're in a more difficult situation. Well, I think we have, this is not always our first go-to. God is in control, and this is where he placed me. I think a lot of us, why this is hard for us, is we live in a way that masks the fact that we're really not in control. Do you realize you have next very little control in your life? But we live as though we do, and it kind of masks this. So, for example, I want you to think this morning, how many decisions do you think you made already today? What time is it right now? 9.32 in the morning. Think about all the decisions that you've made today and what it does for us is to begin, these are good things. This is, it's good that you don't stop and have to ponder deeply about all these things, but there's so many things. You determine what time you're going to set your clock for. You determine probably maybe if, you hit, if you're like me, I had a long night last night, a hard night last night, um, and I, man, I hit the snooze over and over. I made that it's a decision I made. I feel like I'm in control. I got out of bed. I went downstairs. I made the decision. We turn our heat down at night. I went and made the decision to go and bump it back up. I determined what the temperature was going to be in our house. I made the decision to shower this morning. I made a decision to brush my teeth this morning. I made a decision of what to have for breakfast. I made a decision of what kind of clothes to put on. And I made a decision. Some of you, you know, make the decision when you leave the house. Okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to drive this car or that car. And then you're going to determine which road you, which, which way you're going to drive to church and how fast you're going to get, how fast you're going to drive. And you get here, some of you already made decisions about your fantasy team. Who's, who's your, who are you benching this week? Who are you playing? Some of you have already made decisions about what time you're leaving for the cabin tonight so you can shoot Bambi tomorrow. Some of you have already made decisions about who you can invite for dinner this afternoon or who's coming over for dinner this afternoon. But we live our lives with this overlying reality that we're in control of our lives. But what I've learned is all it takes is a phone call to realize you're not in control. You're not in control. You and I are not in control, but we live as though we are. And so I think what happens is we look at our lives And we look at the situations that we find ourselves in, especially when we don't like them and we're not really cool about it and we push back against it 
And we spend a lot of time and energy trying to change it. And so we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 7, and reality is going to be undergirded. Let me share with James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, um, says this. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. This is kind of how we live our life. I'm making decisions. I'm determining what we're going to do. I'm determining where we're going to go, how we're going to do it, and how it's going to go down. And then James writes, but how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. I mean, it just vanishes. It's so short. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. But so few of us pray this on a regular basis. We kind of live life and make our decisions. With that said, turn with me, Will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That kind of sets up what we're going to look at here in this beautiful chapter of Scripture we've been kind of working through over the last couple weeks. We're down to verse 17, page 953 in the Bible's there in the seats in front of you. We'd say take that Bible home if you don't have one. Use it this morning, mark it up. We're also on page 78 of the known journal if you have one. The new known journals are coming, by the way. They should be here within two, two, three weeks. But page 78 if you have one of them. Now, there's three words we're going to hang this text on this morning that I believe if we can begin to grasp God's control... We're going to live a happier life, a happier marriage, a happier family. There's three words. So what we've kind of done throughout this text, we've kind of worked through verse by verse. Um, This morning, I'm going to try and structure this around these three words. Okay, let me give you the the words. The first word is called. Everyone, let's let's wake up this morning, right? Can we all say this together? Ready? Called. There you go. Now, the next word, so we're going to talk about what it means to be called. And what the next word we're going to talk about is no. Well, turn to the person beside you, maybe with a little attitude, and just tell them no. I know some of you got some attitude. Some of you didn't do it. Some of you got Adam, I hate when you do this. I'm not going to do it. Right? That's cool. You're allowed to do that. Um, and the final word we're going to talk about, can you say it with me? With. So we're going to talk about these three words. We're going to structure this text around these, these three words kind of show up, or these concepts show up all throughout this text. So the heart of this, we want to kind of work through and kind of hang this text on these three words. Let's read the text verse, verse 17. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. So last week, setting the context, Pastor Chris did a great job talking about what do you do in marriage when you're with a spouse and that spouse doesn't want to be with you anymore? Do you stay or do you go or how long do I persist? And if I go, can I get remarried and how do we handle all this? And, and if you remember, Pastor Chris talked about last week, the, the text that was there says, hey, I want you to stay if you can live at peace. That was the heart of it. Live at peace and I want you to really focus on restoration. That was the, the real, the, the passion of last week's um, message. And so stay in the situation that you're in. Stay there because, if you remember the, remember the argument that was given, is you might be able to bring holiness to your family. Uh, and, that, and then it says, and Chris did a great job explaining this, and that doesn't just mean salvation. Because if the text ended last week, and you, you never know, Paul says, some of your spouses might actually get saved, meaning accept Jesus Christ their Savior. So now he's going to kind of go broader. He says, each of you, he goes, okay, so that's the principle in marriage. Let's talk about in life. Really, I want you to stay 
Continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. So remember the context. Chris did a great job explaining the culture of this day and people that were accepting Jesus, but then living within the context of a marriage where the one was a believer in Jesus and the other wasn't. And they're like, well, what do I do? Because I want to live like for Christ. And my husband really isn't down with that. And there's this. So he says, listen, I want, where were you when you met Jesus? Stay there. This is my rule for all the churches. Verse 18, for instance, he's going to give some examples. This is going to go broader than just marriage. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. Now, how would that work? I mean, I just, I look at that, I think, man, we're talking first century medicine, not modern medicine. How do you do that? So I don't know. What he's really capturing here is saying, hey, listen, if you were a Jew when you met Jesus, Don't try and undo your Jewish ways fully. Look at the next verse. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. So you don't need to hang your salvation, your walk with God in these things. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Keep God's commands. We're going to come back to this. This That's the with word. And we'll come back to that uh, as we work through this. Verse 20, yes, each of you should remain as you were when God called you. There's this word again, called you. Where were you when God called you? Stay there. Are you a slave? Now, this gets a little messy. We think slaves. I mean, that's like, that's that's bad. Well, I could do a whole morning just on that concept of slavery and why it shows up in Scripture, but it's not the heart of this morning. Try and parallel that with, man, I feel like my boss owns me, right? That's, I think, more how it can fit in our context. So whether are you a slave Don't let that worry you, but if you get a chance to be free, take it. So stay where you're at, even if you're a slave. Now, Paul said, I'm not saying, hey, listen, if a door opens, hey, go ahead and take it. God might open a door for you, but you aren't the one trying to force the door open. Verse 22, and remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. So even if you are a slave, see what he's saying? If you are a slave, you're free in Christ. So you may not be free in an earthly way, but you're free in a spiritual way. You're free in Christ. Now it goes on. Uh, verse 22, let's finish. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you're now free in the Lord. And if you were free when the Lord called you, so he's taking, what he's doing here now, is he's taking your earthly situations and trying to raise them up to a spiritual perspective. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. I mean, you're compelled to be with him, follow him. He's bought you. He's purchased you. Verse 23, God paid a high price for you. So don't be enslaved by the world. Each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. Now, this is a beautiful passage. I want to give this, this to expand on what Chris talked about last week. Remember Chris talked about last week when if you're in a marriage where the husband, let's say, is a non-believer, not a believer in Jesus, a Christian, and the wife is, and it creates this tension. And the, ten, ten, the, the encouragement last week was to stay in it because you could bring holiness to the marriage. There's a theological construct and concept called common grace. Common grace says that no matter, even if you're not, you could be an atheist And if you still live out in the way God's designed life to work, life is going to go good for you, and you're going to enjoy a blessed life. It's called common grace. Another thing, common grace, the verse in Scripture, it reigns in both the righteous and the unrighteous alike. God sends blessing, and it pours out. So if God is blessing your spouse, 
you, let's say God's blessing you, he's going to likely, the blessing's going to, Chris, Chris said it beautifully last week, he's going to, the blessing's going to flow into your spouse. The same concept is here. When I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, our kids, we only had three at the time, Ava wasn't yet born. Born, And as we were kind of moving into school-age children, Luke was approaching preschool. We began to explore, okay, how are we going to do school? We were flab. I mean, we were like, oh, my goodness. We're living where we can afford to live. Up until now, I've never connected up until this point. Where you live connects to where your kids go to school. I never thought about that when I went to go get a house or rent. Now, all of a sudden, it's on my radar. And we're beginning to look at the neighborhoods that we can afford to live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm like, I don't want my son in that school. This is awful. So I begin to process this. Now, I come to this area, Eastern Lancaster County. And let me tell you what. People complain about our schools at times. But, well, I am thrilled. But you know one of the things I've looked at, the difference between the schools where I was at in Charlotte and here? Do you know one of the major differences? There's a lot of Christians in our local schools here. The principle is if you, the same thing as last week in marriage, you remove Christians from society. So I accept Jesus. Now I'm going to all go out here. To, we're going to go have our own school over here. I, that, that's okay. I'm not, and I'm going to get myself in some trouble here. That's, that can be okay. I, I understand there's a context for that. But we're going to all go over here. It leaves a whole group over here without the influence and the blessing of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Listen, I've called you. I've called you unto me. Stay where I've called you and live out what it means to be a slave of Christ or live out what it means to be free in Christ. Now, so let's unpack this whole chapter, this whole section here. And as we talk about the word called, what I want to throw out to you is this concept. Don't just live saved, lived, live called. So often Christianity gets this rap. Christianity is about keeping people out of this hot, burning place called hell and getting them to the celestial, pearly gate, golden pathway called heaven. I'm going to save you. I'm going to, I'm going to get you out of here and bring you here. I'm going, to, I'm going to rescue and pull you into here. And Christianity begins to kind of, we live as though that's our mission in life, to save people. And I want to say, listen. I challenge you as a Christ follower. If you're here this morning, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't just live, ha-ha, I'm saved. God's called you. He's called you. See, sometimes we think about salvation in terms of I responded, I made a choice, I followed Jesus, I this, I that. That's important. It is so, biblically, you need to make a choice. But do you realize you couldn't make a choice if God were not calling And saying, come join me, come follow me, come be with me. I'm initiating this in your direction. Please come with me. You're called. And not only does he call you unto himself, but he's calling you with an assignment. My question is, are you responding? Now, as you think about living called, I think one of the greatest principles of living called is learning to let God be God. This is hard for us. This is really hard. From the very, very beginning, there's a guy named Adam and Eve. Many of you know this story. The very first marriage went bad because they didn't let God be God. They didn't trust him. God said, I'm going to give you all of this. Your assignment is to be here in the garden. The very first man was a landscaper, tended some animals and, and took care of the ground. I want, here's your assignment. This is all yours. Now, the only thing I ask is this tree over here, do not eat of it. Because if you do, you will surely taste death. 
Temptation comes along in the form of a serpent. It says, hey, hey, really? God's holding out on you. He knows that if you have this, you're going to be like him. Oh, really? So they have a little conversation, and they take the fruit and they eat. Ultimately, the sin of that isn't just the eating. It's the fact that they didn't let God be God. They took it into their own hands, and they say, okay, I got this. Let God be God in your life. Adam and Eve tended in a garden. Their assignment was a garden. I'm not sure what assignment he's given you. But chase after it. Figure it out. Trust God with the situation that he's placed you in. This is where I'd encourage you to take that James 4 passage we looked at earlier and daily pray that. God, I'm going to make this choice today. God, I want to make sure I'm chasing you and I'm, I'm where you have called me to be and doing what you want me to do. You're in control, God. You've placed me here. I'm a slave. I mean, that's gruesome. I love how Paul puts that in there. He goes right at it. We think, yeah, you should push back. You should rise up. You should revolt. Paul says, no. Where has he called you? Live there in that assignment. You know, as I think about marriage and this principle and letting God be God and living called, not just saved, can I talk to marriage a minute? Can I encourage you to stop playing God in your spouse's life? Over the last couple days, I had a hard conversation. And what I was stunned with as I went away and thought about the conversation, what was so hard about it is the energy that was being expended with the group that was gathered was about how to change another person. And it's something you and I can't do. Your spouse may hurt you. The people you live with may be hard to live with, but you can't change them. You know who does? Our creator. I think God's whisper in a minute accomplishes more than months of your nagging. You know, when we nag, I heard, um, when we nag, I've heard many of speakers talk about this and on a national level. I think all is that, all is we hear is blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, why don't they hear from God? Well, because all they hear is your noise. Get out of the way and let God work. Stop trying to control your spouse. I'll say this. God's not going to call you two in different directions if you're married. I believe this with all my heart. I see this all the time. Spouse is like, well, I'm called to do this. Well, no, we're called to do this. I'm called to be here. No, God doesn't. In, you're one. Why is he speaking to me this way and her that way? I don't know. It could be about timing. Maybe the time's not, maybe you're both right, but there's a something with timing. God's not going to call you in separate directions. Sit down and listen to him. God's in control. Where has he called you? What does he ask you to do? Not him, not her, not your neighbor. What assignment has he given you? I think that's what Paul's coming after here. Now, to do this well, here comes our next word. No. Didn't it feel good to say it to the person beside you earlier? Go ahead and say it again. Look at him. No. Some of you are going, oh, I've wanted to do that all year long, to look at that person and say that. No. Now, what I mean by this is if you're going to live called, if you're going to live called, and if you're going to do what God's asked you to do, I think it's important to stop chasing your potential and live your calling. You know, we, <laughs> we sell young people today an absolute lie. 
I hear young people told this so I, as a coach in football. Here's, I see it happen. You put your heart to it. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. That's a lie. But we need to look at young people and say to them, what has God wired you to do? What has he uniquely gifted you to do? And what does he ask you to do? Go do that and say no to everything else. You know, if you think about the football illustration, if, if you can be passionate to play football, you can love football, give your life to football, work out 24-7, get your 40 time down to, let's say, a 4-4. But if you stop growing at 5'5", five five, you will not be a middle linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, maybe this year you could, but that's not going <laughs> to... Sorry, I had to get that in. <laughs> but it's not going to happen, Right? We live life thinking the sky is the limit. I have all this potential. We're going to fan the flame in our kids' lives. I think we need to change the conversation with our kids. Say, hey, what has God gifted you to do? What passions has he put in you? What desires are burning inside of you? What abilities has he given uniquely to you? And go do those things and say no to everything else. I think we need to learn to live within our limits. I can't tell you how many lives that I've seen ruined because they're trying to climb to something that they were not called to be. Why wouldn't you take that promotion? Why wouldn't you take the corner office? Well, because God hasn't called me to it. And for me to take it, it's going to bring a lot of destruction in life. Live the passage. Live. Where has God called you? Stay there. Now, next week, we're going to get into the passage next week. You can read it ahead this week. We're going to talk about it next week at much more level. But next week, next week we learn this reality of singleness. All throughout this section, Paul celebrates singleness. Be single, be single. Next week, you're going to get the reason why. Full both barrels. He says, I want you to be single because when you're single, you can be fully devoted to the things that God is about. Why, Paul? God's not about my kids? What he's talking about is he says, the t- you go ahead and read it, look at it, we're going to get into it next week. But he says, when you're married and you have kids, you suddenly get consumed with worldly things like, like paying bills, buying basketball sneakers, because my son just made the basketball team, getting kids, setting up the carpool to make sure he gets to, to and from practice, starting to make sure that we get the backyard rake and the leaves out because the snow fell early this year. Now they're all matted down. i got to get that taken care of. You start to be consumed with things. And Paul says, if you can stay single, man, yes. Now, so here's what I've, this is where I've, this has been hard for me. Because I'm married and have four kids, there are things that I can't do. Let me give you an example. I've had for years, people have come to me and said, not just at Bethany, but in past church context, we need to do Saturday night service. We have to do it. And I look at the logic and the reason, and I say, it's amazing. I couldn't agree more. I think we should. I think it is absolutely the right thing to do in our culture today. It is the absolutely right thing to do. But you know why I will say no every single time? Saturday is the only day on my calendar where I don't work and neither do my kids. The only day. So I'm going to set a limit. I'm going to cap off Bethany because I'm going to say no. Because I can't be here every single Saturday. It just can't happen. Now, some of you say, well, Adam, I can't be at all the events. I can't show up. At, I just, you can't because I've got four kids. 
I need to understand what has God asked me to do? What are my priorities? What has he called me to? And then I need to learn the healthy thing to do is to say no. The same goes for your career. The very same thing goes. I would say it this way. The important thing is to learn to say no now so you can say yes later. It's not a permanent no. It's not a no way ever. It's a no. I can't now because I need to be focused on this. And if I want to get to that, I better take care of this. I'm never going to get to that if I don't take care of this. That's really what this is about. So what has God called you to do? Know your limits and live within them. You can't have it all. You can't do it all. And you can't keep everyone happy. Please stop trying. Please stop trying. You're killing yourself, your kids, your husband, your wife. Have limits. May I say this too? I want to I step out on a limb here. I think some in this church need to say no to volunteering. Now you say, what did he just say? He's a pastor and he's telling people to stop volunteering? I do. Our, our leadership has not taken seriously enough, and I'm the lead, top leader, and I own this. We have not taken seriously enough our limits. What can't we do? Because we've been called to something else. We are so busy as a church doing so many good things. Something's got to stop. We wear stuff out. We don't do any one thing well because we've not been called to it. And I'd say this, I watch volunteers, the church stands on the back of volunteers, on the shoulders. We couldn't do this whole, everything, you, the music that so deeply touches our heart, volunteer, 100%. We can't, right now, the children's workers that are taking care of your children, that are loving on them and caring for them, volunteer. The sound guy, the video guys, volunteer. We can't, we can't do this without volunteers. Yet, I'll tell you, some of you need to say no and put your family first. I'll tell our staff at times, hey, guys, I'm concerned about that staff. I'm concerned about that volunteer because I see him here all the time. Why are they here all the time? So thank you for those of you who volunteer, but know your calling. Know your season of life. Know what you've been equipped and gifted to do, and know your priorities, and learn to say no. And let me tell you why I think we don't say no well is because we are highly insecure. We are trying so hard to be enough and to finally attain that pat on the back. I'd say be content. Enjoy where you are on the way to where God is taking you. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 says, not that I was ever in need. This is Paul, same writer, 1 Corinthians 7. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. When he's writing this, he's, in, he's under house arrest. He's, he's in jail in essence. I've learned, to, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then comes this well-known verse. If you have Under Armour um, clothing right now or shoes, some of your shoes even have it on, you see this, I can do all things. Here's, the, here's where it comes from. Steph Curry, who's the Under Armour, spo- Under Armour spokesman, wanted this on his, he wanted Nike, and Nike said, Nike wanted him. He said, I want this verse. Nike said, no, thank you. He goes to Under Armour, boom, here it is. But here's the verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
the well-known verse. What he's saying is, I've learned how to live content. I've learned how to be enough. I've learned that no matter whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I am in Christ and Christ is in me and it is enough and he's going to work in me and through me, period. But some of us are so busy chasing the next thing so that we can finally get the high five from dad that we've lived our whole lives to get. Paul says, no, you're enough. Say no. Live within your limits. Be content. Now, some of you say, Adam, Adam, but I'm in so much pain. You don't get it. My situation's hard. My situation's really hard. And this is the hope. I want to end with this one, the word with. Your situation might be hard. You might be a slave. I mean, Paul puts that right out there. You might live in a position where you feel poorly treated and neglected. I feel, Adam, my situation is awful. Well, let's talk about with. Do you realize, if I ask you this morning to write down, what is Christianity all about? What's the foundation, the central focus of Christianity? You know what word I'm going to bet? I'm going to take a, I don't know, I I may be wrong on this, but I'm going to bet there's a word that doesn't show up in this room. Might be on a few of yours. But you know what word I bet we don't hear and see? If we pass the mic around, you know what the word is? Suffering. Very few of you are going to say, well, the bedrock of Christianity is suffering. Do you realize that suffering is at the center of the Christian faith? Have you ever thought about that? Suffering is at the center of the Christian faith. Right here we have a cross on our stage. What is a cross? A cross is like today's modern-day electric chair. Jesus Christ came to this earth to pay a price for you. It says it right there in the text. Look at verse 23. God paid a high price for you. You know what that price was? It was his son coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying a terrible death, having his arms stretched against his will on a tree and nailed. Remember, he prayed, God, may there be any other way. I'll do it because you've asked me to do it. I'll do it because you're in control, but I really don't want to do this. And he had his arms stretched, and he bled, and he had thorns present. He was, the scriptures say he was beaten beyond recognition. And not only did he suffer physically, but he suffered spiritually, as he had all the sins of us shoved on him. He hollers out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the center of the Christian faith is a cross. And you say, but Adam, he got off and he rose to new life. Yes, he did. And then you know what he said to you and me? Pick up your cross and follow me. Your cross. Die to self. At the center of the Christian faith is suffering. This is one of the hardest lessons for me to learn in life. Jesus came not so much to take you out of your pain, but to be with you in your pain. Do you realize in, in Hebrews it says, talk about this, look at this, look at verse, look at verse 19. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Do you know how you keep God's commandments? How did Jesus do it? Any of you know how Jesus did it? He suffered. Hebrews, the writer, says Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Suffering is a part of the Christian existence. It's a part of life. That's why I love verse 24. Let me show it in a different translation. Uh, the New King James, does a, the ESV does it too. The New King James really captures this well. Brethren, let each one remain where? 
So all throughout this passage, I want you to live where I've called you. Live where I met you. Live, live where I've called you in assignment I give you. I want you to stay there. Then verse 24 wraps up. Brethren, let each one remain, say it, with God in that state in which he has called you. In other words, it may be hard. It may be painful. But he's there with you. It's one of the beauties of Christianity. God didn't come to deliver you out of pain so much as he came to be with you in your pain to relate to you, to walk with you, to know what it's like. Tim Keller says it this way in his great book on suffering. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. Your God loves you. He's for you. It may be hard, you say. Hey, Adam, it's so hard. My husband left me. My husband cheated on me. My wife cheated on me. It is so hard. My situation is painful. I'm alone. I want to be married, and I'm not. I, you know what? I so badly want to have kids. My boss is a jerk. I can't stand where I'm working. I'm underemployed. I'm not appreciated. And on and on we can go, and I think the message of this is, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, verse 23, he's paid a high price. So don't be enslaved to the world. He's set you free. I'm with you. I've come for you. The message of Jesus is you are a sinner. You couldn't fix your life. You couldn't make it good. You couldn't make it right. All the good you could have possibly done wasn't going to scrub out the bad that is in you. So God calls. And we listen and we respond. Yes, I hear you. Follow me, he says. Follow me. That's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. Just follow me. He's not abandoned you. He is with you. May I say this? The deepest lesson that I've learned in marriage, I said it a few weeks ago, my wife and I have, <laughs> we've stayed married through what many have divorced over. It's been hard, but good. The number one lesson that I have learned is this concept of with. God is with me in my pain and suffering. He's here with me. I've lived life thinking, well, I've got to get better. I've got to improve. I've got to, I have to, I have to, and then. No, he's here now. He looks at you and he smiles and he says, there is my son and there is my daughter if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he is with you. In the same way, here's where came the secret unlocked for me in marriage. In the same way, he's saying, be with your spouse. Don't fix them, teach them, train them, help them, correct them, counsel them, and the whole nine yards. Be with them. We don't do so good at this in the church world because we have the truth and we're always teaching and correcting and training. But the scripture says, grieve with those who grieve, rejoice with those who rejoice, be with. Just sit with them. That's God says, be with me, I'm here. The reality is, I think from looking at what Pastor Chris talked about, looking at this passage, here's the thing I want to say, I want to end with. There is a greater reality at work than yours and my situation. We get so caught up with the here and the now. Well, they did this, this happened, he's a jerk. And we get so wrapped up with our situations and God is saying there's a greater reality. Do you see it? Do you see it? 
2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17, here's just one of the many verses that point to the greater reality. Just one. There's so many. I had a hard time picking one to land this plane. It says this, this. That is why we never give up. This whole chapter is, I wish, anyway, I won't set the context. i got to close here. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Dying is pain and ugly and gruesome. Our spirits are renewed every day. For our present troubles, look at this. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, when Paul talks about present troubles, he's talking about shipwreck, beatings, jail, horrible torture and mistreatment. He's talking about some big things. But he says they're small and they're not going to last very long. Why? Because there's a bigger reality at play. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. See, there's a thing called eternity. The very first verse I started with, James chapter 4, your life is but a vapor and there's something that's going to vastly outlast that. So these troubles that you're going through are so tough tiny and so small compared to all of eternity. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze. We, we lock our eyes in on the things that we cannot, that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite theologians of, in, in human in, in, um, history of mankind. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. The reason I love C.S. Lewis is because he talks to children. He takes deep truths and can put them in the hearts of children. One of the things that C.S. Lewis says, he has this little essay called The Weight of Glory. Grab it. You can get it free online. You can, it's pdf all over the place. You can read the whole thing in, in a sitting. It's called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he talks. Here's the principle he says. He says, man, we don't get eternity. We don't understand glory. He says, look, look, good look. Look to the people around you. Take a look. Get a good look at them. Aren't they pretty, handsome, smell good, took a shower this morning? That's a choice I made, right? That person sitting next to you, I love C.S. Lewis says in the way to glory. If you could see that person right now as they will look in eternity, you would either bow down and worship or you would shriek in horror. What he's saying is we, there's more to life than our current situation And we're going to carry on beyond this life. And those of you who are followers of Jesus are going to spend eternity with him and live in this glory. That's the way he's saying. You're going to, you'd be tempted to worship him if you saw him in that state now. Your spouse right now, who's a follower of Jesus, who you'd really like to kick out because you've had enough of him right now, is going to one day be there. If you saw them now here, you'd be tempted to worship or if they're not a believer in Jesus, C.S. Lewis, aptly, I think, very aptly points out, you'd shriek in horror. And you'd do everything you can now to walk with them and live in a way that brings them to where you're going to be. We don't see this. Chris talked about it great last week. It's again here in this one. We get so wrapped up in our current troubles and our current situations. And Paul says, hey, guys, listen. Live called. Live called. What has God called you to do? Where is he uniquely gifted and wired you to be? Then after you figure that out, say no. You know what? I can't do that. Oh, they're going to get all upset. That's okay. Let them get upset. Let them get upset. Worst things have happened in life than that person being upset at you. Live called, say no, and then say, okay, 
I'm here with my creator who knows me and loves me. He's pleased with me. And I don't need to get to the next thing and solve my situation to earn his favor. He's looking at me right now, if I'm a child of God, and saying, well done, my son and my daughter. I'm pleased with you. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. God, I, um, it's such a good passage for me personally to study this week. God, I find so often I'm working so hard in life to get to the next thing, to fix my circumstances, to take care of the problems. And God, I think your message is, hey, what are you called to do? Say no, and I'm here with you. God, I love this beauty in this passage. God, you've bought us at a high price. God, I pray, I just want to close with a simple prayer. Help us as people to see life for more than what we see now, to see it for what it is. God, if there's someone here, if that means for some, God, they need, man, they need to step in and wrestle with their relationship with you. Maybe they're not in a relationship, or maybe their relationship is a complete and total sham to everyone around them. God, right now, would they do business with you? Would they talk to you, hear from you? God, would they hear from you? Would they open up their ears? God, it says you call. God, would they hear and would they respond? God, right now, there's some in this room that don't know your son, Jesus Christ. God, um, would they acknowledge their sin and put their faith and trust in you and turn and repent and come to you? God, for those of us that say, that's where I'm at, Adam. God, would you refresh our spirit? God, would you refresh us? Would we leave this place saying, okay, I know what I've been called to do. If I don't, I'm going to wrestle with it this week. I'm going to start talking to my kids in that kind of language. I'm going to, I'm going to start talking. I just want to, I want to live in that way where I understand God's in control and I'm following him. And because I'm following him, I feel courageous to say no because I know he's here with me. I want to obey him and follow him and love him because he's captured my heart. God, we love you. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.